Praise the Lord. I tell you, you just stop, you look around, what God's doing, and uh, these our church plants, and the souls saved this week, and souls saved here today, and the music, the choir, you look around God's house tonight, may God be praised. God's doing some great and some wonderful things. It's all the Lord. Praise Him tonight. What a great God we have. So gracious to us. He's so loving. He is blessing our church. And I just, I don't want us to miss that. It's all because of God. And uh, just, uh, heart's full. Praise the Lord. What a great, great God. So, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, um, go through a few verses here, continue studying this book. And our big outline, and uh, those that take an outline with me, we're going to get a lot of sub-points tonight. You ready? All right, yeah, here we go, all right? But uh, we're looking at how to build an effective church in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We saw the church and its doctrine in chapter 1. Chapter 2, the church and its devotion. Chapter number 3, the church and its duties. And... Um, we are going to read these first seven verses tonight, but in our outline, uh, number one, uh, the church and its duties, you have the church's duties discussed in verses one through 13. We're going to look at just this verse seven, but Paul uh, has shared the role of men and ladies in the church, and now he's going to look at leadership in the church. Um, I, I believe, again, uh, Paul wrote this book, um, Timothy had uh, was there at Ephesus. There are some issues going on at Ephesus, and uh, the Lord's correcting it here. Um, and uh, just uh, and here he's talking about the pastor, and he'll talk about the deacons and their role in the church and their qualifications and their leadership. Um, and these qualifications are still demanded today. Uh, these aren't just uh, something that was for the church at Ephesus that came in and went by. Uh, this is still scripture. And it's still what is expected today. And so we saw the church um, and its duties. The Number one, church's duties discussed. And then underneath that, we see spiritual leadership. That of the elder. Verses 1 through 7. Let's read those verses in verses 1 through 7. If you'll follow along. Verse number 1, it says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We're going to look at this tonight and uh, look at the spiritual leadership. He's going to also talk about uh, the, the deacons, and we'll do that, uh, Lord willing, next time. But we're going to look at uh, and kind of break this down. I know just a few weeks ago on a Thursday night, uh, we kind of went through the office of a pastor and studied that, went through a lot of these things, and uh, but um, this is where God has us, and we're going to go through these things again and, and try to outline it in a little bit uh, a different fashion to get us think maybe uh, maybe a different way. But the spiritual leadership, and the first thing I want you to see in verse number one is the quest. It says, this is a true saying, 
If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. The quest. What is the quest? Well, first of all, there should be a desire for the office. There must be a desire for the office. A pastor must desire in his heart to do so. If God didn't place the desire in the heart, the man should not seek to be a pastor. They may be a good man, maybe a great man, maybe a spiritual man, maybe a great orator. But if God doesn't put in the heart to be a pastor, then the man has no business seeking to be a pastor. It's, a, it's something that, how can I describe it? You long to do it. You cannot see yourself doing anything else. It's a desire not to be in charge. But it's a desire to help. It's a desire to shepherd. It's a desire to protect it's a desire to feed, to help heal. I believe it's a Holy Spirit put longing in the heart that it will be an office that is desired. I know the Lord, um, and again, I, these sermons, whenever you preach like on the pastor, being at your home church, being the pastor... It's easier to preach other places, right? Uh, you know, about the pastor, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's right to do. And we're gonna, I'm going to preach as if I don't know any of you, right? Uh, and, uh, but, the, you know, I, I remember in my life, um, I know the Lord called me to preach when I was 16 years old. Now, pastoring, uh, didn't know about that. I just knew God called me to preach. I didn't know what capacity, in what way. I surrendered to preach, and... I went forward and let the church know, and at the altar, my grandpa told me, he said, all right. He said, son, you need to be at the nursing home Tuesday night. And I said, what for? He said, you're going to preach. I just surrendered, right? And, uh, but uh, he said, if that's what the Lord wants you to do, you need to get busy doing it. And um, very thankful he did that, by the way. And, um, and I'll never forget the first service. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but uh, I, I got up there scared to death. Um, Matt went with me, and uh, Matt, he, he said, I'll lead the singing. I said, okay. And uh, so Matt led the singing. He led Amazing Grace. And uh, he told everybody they're going to sing all four verses, but he didn't have a book. When he got to the third verse, he didn't know the verse. And, uh, and everybody just kind of mumbled through it, and Matt said, I'm never doing that again. Uh, you know, he was, uh, but he did. Uh, but uh, then I got up to preach. I was scared to death, and this lady, she wheeled up to me. And I mean, right up to me. The front wheels of her wheelchair were touching my toes. And she just sat there. I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. The guy in charge of the nursing home, he was sitting in the back laughing at me. Uh, he didn't want to do nothing. He just let me at it, right? And uh, she just sat right in front of me. And uh, so I preached like three minutes, and uh, we were done. And, uh, but uh, don't say nothing. I, uh, but it was, uh, it, we had a, a good time, and uh, I... Uh, praise the Lord, uh, continued uh, knew, knowing that the Lord uh, wanted me to preach. And um, I didn't know what capacity, I didn't know what he wanted. And um, the Lord began to deal with my heart in the next few years. And 
And that came from uh, learning to have a walk with God. And the more I consistently read my Bible every day, listened to what God said, began to pray, the more clearly God's direction in my life was. And I just say that to say if you have a hard time saying, well, you know, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. What? Get a walk with the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He'll, he'll direct your steps. He always will. And um, so about my second year at college, um, I was working in St. Joseph, Michigan um, to help pay for my school bill. And um, I was working on floors, my job to uh, clean carpets and to uh, work with tile floors and strip the wax off and put new wax on them. And uh, that's where me and Brother Price met. So uh, I helped train him. So that's where we met. Uh, and um, so we uh, worked together for a few years there. And, uh, but um, we, we did that together. Matter of fact, it's funny now, but uh, I think it's been four years ago because they've been here three years, yeah? Is that right? Or they've been here four all right, so they've been here for so five years ago, about this time, I was stripping and waxing the floors next door, and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to Brother Price. I said, Brother Price, I need you to come do this for me, and uh, he laughed. He's done it ever since. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, love how the Lord helped that out. Right? Yeah, it was awesome, uh, but I was working in St. Joseph, Michigan, and I, was, uh, I went early to work, and I sat in this park, and uh, sat there on this bench. I can take you to the bench, and I've taken some of you to the bench, some of my old school Sunday school class. Uh, we went there. Uh, and um, and um, there, I knew the Lord called me to be a pastor. I was praying about it, and I've talked to the Lord about it. And I still, to this day, have a burden and desire to see a church planted in St. Joseph, Michigan. Someday. It will be done. The Lord doesn't come back. It will be done. Or I'll pass away and you'll send somebody in my name, all right? But it will be done, all right? Uh, but uh, I, I know the Lord, something in my heart, I can't, nothing else would satisfy my life than to be in the will of God doing what God told me to do. And there's a desire, and there better be a desire because it's not easy. Brother Armacost always jokes, we coach basketball together, and he always says, you know, I don't know why you're tired, you only work two days a week. I was like, yeah, you know, and he always uh, laughs at that. And, um, but uh, it's a God-given desire that you couldn't do anything else. And like Jeremiah, if you try to quit doing it, something will burn within you that you have to do it. And um, so... It's a desire, there has to be the quest, there's a desire for the office, and then secondly, you see the distinctive of the office, it says in this, again in verse number one, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, the office of a bishop, unfortunately a lot of times when we hear like the office of a bishop, one of our first thoughts is to see uh, like the Catholics portray someone in a long robe, uh, very proud of themselves and, and glad that they're in charge, uh, you know, uh, but in uh, overseeing and walking and, uh, you know, and uh, kind of uh, uh, distinguished. We uh, met a bishop, uh, actually, when we were over in Italy. Uh, we were 
uh, we were in all kinds of churches, and and um, and uh, they we met quite a few, and they were their American Catholicism is not what it is over in Europe, right? Or even in Mexico, right? Uh, it is very toned down in America. It is still very powerful and overreaching and controlling in other parts of the world, right? And uh, and uh, this this bishop uh, uh, tried to have a conversation with him, didn't go very far. Uh, but uh, that's what we think about when we think about the bishop. But that's not what we're talking about here. The word the word bishop there uh, it, it means uh, an overseer. Uh, it means and it kind of gives a, a more um, kind of give you an idea what the word means. Right here's another place the word. The same word is, is in our Bible as visitation, which is interesting, right? But I, I want you to see how, because when we think visitation, we think, you know, Saturday morning, right? But real quick, glance at this in Luke chapter 19. Look at this with me real quick, because we love studying the Bible, amen? And uh, so it, this, is, this helps us, right? And gives us a good understanding of this. In Luke chapter number 19, and in verse number 44, verse 19 and verse 44, it says this, Luke nineteen forty four and shall lay thee uh, even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. That's that same word. All right. Uh, it's also found. You don't have to turn there, but in First Peter chapter two and verse number twelve. But the time of thy visitation is the time when you're going to be uh, um, in this passage of scripture. Uh, held accountable, inspected, watched over, overseer. You get the idea? All right. Uh, when I worked at Dunkin' Donuts, we'd always get a one-week notification, right, that the general manager was coming, right, for a big inspection, right. The visitation was coming, right. He was coming to look over everything, to inspect it and see and to watch. And that's the idea of the office of a bishop. It's, it's not one's desire to say, hey, I'm in charge, I'm the man, right? It's quite opposite of that. It, the idea is this, that it is a God-given task to oversee the flock of God, to investigate, to inspect, to watch, to see the ways and the actions you know, more than once, someone has you know told me, you know, you know, stay out of my life. Well, if you're a member, I can't. <laughs> I can't, right? I I, I can't. It, it's uh, it, it's my God-given office. And again, I don't dictate anyone's life. I don't control anyone. That's not what I said. It is to watch over. It, it, it's to notice when things may be getting in our home, or our family, or our life that shouldn't be there. And, uh, and to pray for you, to talk to you, to be concerned about directions and choices. It, it literally means to, to carefully watch over because you want the best for them. And the office of a pastor is one that, that uh, again, it's a longing that God puts in the heart of, of watching over the people that God places with him. And uh, Peter talked about being the overseer of the flock and not being lords over God's heritage. It's, it's not about, 
you know, dictating or being in charge or commanding anything. You know, I was, I was telling someone this week that uh, we were discussing church and a pastor's position and role, and I, I said it's, it's not the pastor's job to make anyone do anything. It's not the pastor's job, you know, to get upset if, 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 uh, and, and quit if, if, if someone doesn't do what they suggest they do. You know, I, I, when I first became pastor, I struggled with that a lot. You know, we'd preach and show this clearly the Bible says this, and then people would not do what the Bible says. And I, you know, I'd be like, man, you're such a loser. You know, not you, me preaching, right? Well, them too. Yeah, right, I know. Uh, you know, but I was like, you know, I, I, I take it almost personally, and a lot of pastors do. That's why they quit. And, uh, and I'll never forget, I was telling this person this week, I was literally like really bothered by some things that were going on and, and, uh, and uh, people's just making really bad choices, even though it's clear what the Bible said. And, and, uh, and I was reading there in the Gospels and, and uh, just years ago, right, uh, 2010, 11, and I'm reading and, and where uh, the Lord looked at Judas there at the, at the meal and he, he said, what thou doest too quickly. And Judas got up and left. And as I was reading that, it's like the Lord, as I'm all down, depressed, and upset at people and myself, the Lord said to me, and don't take this the wrong way, I don't mean anything against the Lord at all in this statement, but it's what the Lord told me. One out of 12 walked away from him. I mean, I, I can't believe anyone would follow <laughs> Com compare because the Lord is the greatest pastor that's ever walked him on the face of the earth right nothing to be compared if anybody stays it's all God and it helped me and the Lord just kind of confirmed in my heart and taught me something that day as I began to meditate on that it is not I will never stand accountable as a pastor for what you do that's you and God. But I will give an account for what I tell you and how I lead you. It's my responsibility to preach truth. It's my responsibility to warn. It's my responsibility to, to feed you. It's my responsibility, to, spiritually, not. Right? But, uh, but it's my responsibility to do these things. And I will give an account to God for what I give you. And how I lead you. But, you know, if Brother Jeff says, I don't want it, I'm quitting church, I'm out of here, which he wouldn't do, but I will not one day be held accountable to God if I told him what's right. Does that make sense? And that's what the overseer does. He, he teaches, he, he feeds, he watches over, he looks for wolves, he looks for dangers, he looks for these things, and, 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 and that's his responsibility. So you see the desire of the office, you see the distinctive of the office, and then also in verse number one, the demands of the office. I promise we'll go quicker here in a second, but it says this, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. The demands of the office. Lots of jokes. But this is all seriousness. If someone's going to be the right kind of pastor, it's work. 
It's labor. It is, uh, it's not easy. It is, it's demanding. Not preaching it. Again, if I was anywhere else, I would say these things, right? And, um, and so, obviously, I should be able to say the truth at my own church, right? I'm not saying it to get pity, not saying it to get a pat on the back. I'm just saying it because it's in the Word of God. It's work. And, and, a, and a pastor is going to labor in this. And, and you know, at the turn here, but in Acts chapter 20, Paul talked to the elders from Ephesus, the pastors from Ephesus, and, and you read that on your own, but he talked about all the work that was demanded, the time that was demanded, the patience that is demanded, the wisdom that is, needs to be shared, the teaching, the helping, the, the visiting, the watching, the praying, the work. Um, you know, I few, and again, I don't mean this in any way prideful, conceited, or in any way trying to pat me or any other pastor on the back, but few will understand that it never stops. It just never stops. And um, you go home at night, and you're sitting there, and your mind you think about needs and things people ask you to pray for and, and anyone asks me to pray for something by the time I'm done with the sermon notebook usually the back cover is completely full of things because people walk up to me and ask me to pray for things and I write them down there and, and, uh, and so that I can pray for those things and uh, your mind goes to future and a vision and uh, you think about concerns you think about prayer requests you think about uh, people's direction and choices and where the church needs to go and, and uh, our missionaries and uh, the people that we send out and uh, our different ministries and and um, even you take I'm just I'll talk about my dad right uh, take a week of vacation we travel somewhere my dad he was worse than me he was he was worse um, and uh, he he like I think I learned from him I was man you gotta when I went and talked sorry about it, I may stop at any time but we're all enjoying this right amen, amen. <laughs> when I went to my grandpa in uh, July of 2004 when the church voted uh, for me to be pastor I went and saw my grandpa and uh, he had pastored 60 years same church I figured he's got some wisdom uh, and uh I went and asked him, and I said this. I said, I said, Papa, I said, I'm, I think I'm going to be the pastor here, and they voted on it. I said, uh, what advice, what, what counsel would you give me? And he sat there without hesitation. He looked at me, and the first thing he said was this. He said, don't be like your dad. Take a day off every week. That's what he said. To take a day off every week. Not that I heated that a lot, but I, you know, I good advice, uh, and uh, and I do try uh, more than Dad did, uh, you know. And I, I just looked at him. I, I was waiting for like some spiritual, like oh, you know. Uh, but he he told me that, and he said, you know, he he looked at me. and said, you know, we, I went fishing Tuesdays. I, he said, if you don't, he said you'll crack. And um, I thought about it because I was not geared that way. I mean, I went to Bible college at like 
drove you to the ground. Uh, you know, and I, you, know, you just be a man, keep going. Uh, you know, and I, and that wasn't what I've been doing here. Um, first, you know, helping my dad out. I mean, I was every day here, and Saturdays I did the Eastgate Amelia route. That's right. We drove to Amelia every day on our bus route. I got home. I got back to church at like four. Uh, it was awesome, uh, you know. And never went home. And um, I realized, by the way, when I started looking at like Alex's third year birthday, and we're looking back at all the pictures of when he was a baby. I wasn't there. And I realized my grandpa's right. Um, and, uh, and he was right on that because otherwise you, you don't turn it off. And it will wear on you physically. And I'm just telling you what dad said. Dad didn't rust out, he wore out. And uh, you say, that's awesome. Not if he had more years, he could have served. I'm not being mean. Well, my grandpa, I think, was right on that. But you got to be careful that you, you know, because it never ends. But even on vacation, you're like, I can't imagine. If my dad would have had a cell phone back then, we'd have never done anything. Uh, you know, but um, that's why, by the way, sometimes... People call. I don't answer. Say why? I was playing Uno. They say you should answer. You leave a message and tell me to call you. I'll call you right back. But if it's not a big deal, I'm gonna finish my Uno game. You may think that's terrible. No, it's okay. I promise. Right? Uh, you know, and uh, you got to keep a balance here, and because uh, otherwise, I I know me. There came an opportunity for us to move like really close to the church one time a few years ago, like really close to the church. And uh, I was like, no. No. Say why? Because I know me. If I live near this property, I'd never leave. I live 17 minutes and 22 seconds away. Unless Stacy's driving, then it's 16 minutes, all right? But, <laughs> all right, but... Right, uh, you know, and uh, that's good for me. And um, and so my grandpa said that. And then the second thing he said, he said this, and uh, never forget this. It's still hanging up at my house. Uh, Miss Ruth Wilson stitched it and framed it. And uh, when after I said it one time, but he told me this. He said, "Never help people do wrong, but always help people do right." And that may not sound like much, and I didn't think at the time it was much, but as time has gone on, that's unbelievable counsel right there. And because so many situations and circumstances come up, and it's just been perfect counsel. Um, but back to this, I guess, uh, it, it's word. And, um, and, and I, I appreciate our church and understanding that. Always have since I've never had a complaint on that. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for your support in that and always. And 
but, uh, but it is work. And so pray for your pastor. Pray for all pastors. Um, because, you know, I thought about, I even have in my notes to talk about one day this week. But I'm not. I already went on enough for own shows. Because a lot of times people are like, what do you do? And um, you don't even want to know. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. But uh, trust me, it's busy. So I won't bore you with that. The quest... And then secondly, the qualification. Now again, I'm going to go quick on this because we've already talked about it. We studied it a couple of Thursdays ago. So let's be real quick and just look at this. The qualifications in verses 2 through 7. First of all, there's some basic requirements for the elder. Some basic requirements uh, in verse 1 and 2. All right? Basic requirements. Uh, one, the first basic requirement is this. All right? The main requirement. And the main requirements are two things. Verse number one, it's a desire, which I've already talked about. I'm not going to say it again. If you don't have a desire, you shouldn't be pastoring. A desire. And then second, in verse number two, a bishop then must be blameless. A bishop must be blameless. That is referring to his character, his reputation. Um, it doesn't mean that they need to be perfect. Otherwise, no one on earth is qualified to be a pastor, right? It uh, doesn't mean he can't make mistakes. Uh, therefore, there's no one on earth that uh, can ever be a pastor, right? But what it means is this, that uh, he is blameless. In other words, he's, he's not reproachable. He's not known for, uh, you know, something evil or some sin or something that uh, uh, is constantly on him. Um, and uh, I, this is just true stories. And, you know, uh, if, a, if a pastor has a reputation of being a liar and he's always lying on everything that he's doing, uh, he shouldn't be a pastor. Uh, if he, uh, in any way, there's any uh, immorality in his life that he's committing or has committed in the role of a patent by in the office of a pastor, he should immediately step down. He shouldn't be a pastor because he, he now has a reproach. And adultery is a shame and a reproach not easily wiped away and so you should again we we live in a world today and it's wrong and it's evil and i just want kazadel to us to be on the same page all right if somebody's involved with some immoral sin and i don't care who it's with all right immoral sin i'm not going to go into details but it's it's happening in this world we live in a very carnal world and if a pastor's immoral they don't it's not right to resign and go somewhere else and pastor we don't shuffle pastors just because he got caught in something. He needs to be a man of character and step down. Um, he, he needs to be blameless. And it doesn't mean perfect, but it means this, that if you mention the name and the first thing you think of is this wicked thing that they are doing, he doesn't have a business being a pastor. All right? Uh, so the main requirement is that a desire and to be blameless. You remember whenever David sinned with Bathsheba, uh, and the prophet Samuel came to him in Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 14 and told him that one of the great things that had happened is he had become a reproach as a king. And uh, it loses respect, it loses honor. So the main requirements is that desire and blame. So you can see his marital requirements in verse number 2. His marital requir requirements, it says they're uh, the husband of one wife. Um, obviously, what's insinuated in that is He's a man. I don't care what the world says. Only a man can be a husband. Right? That's 
God's rules, right? Uh, don't get mad at me. That's what God said, right? The twain should be husband and wife, right? Uh, that's it's God's role, right? Uh, and uh, so, but uh, again, uh, it's it's here. Uh, pastor must be a man, and the Southern Baptists are getting all messed up on this now, right? They're having all they had a big convention to try to decide. And uh, one of my friends, he's a Southern Baptist, and he's my friend. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he's straight as an arrow, Brother Stratton. He's just awesome. I don't know why he's Southern Baptist. Uh, but he, uh, uh, he, was, he was talking to me, and uh, he, he, said, uh, he said, he got up at the convention. He's from down in Kentucky. He's awesome. Uh, but he got up, and he said, I don't know what we're debating. And he held up his Bible. Good for him, right? Uh, but uh, it's a man, obviously not a polygamist. No one does that. Not much in America. There's weird things, but uh, not much. But in other places of the world, they do. It's which raises all kinds of. You know, I was talking to a, a man that was a missionary to the Muslim people, and you know, he has a hard time finding men qualified to be pastors because a lot of those Muslims, when they get saved, how do you handle that? I'm glad I don't have to. Uh, you know, but. Not the, he has to be a man, and it can't be a polygamist. Uh, shouldn't be divorced. Uh, again, we're reproachable, uh, but also, I'm just telling you what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 32, that, um, again, now don't get me wrong, please hear me what I'm about to say. All right? Uh, you say, well, I went through a divorce. It doesn't mean you can't serve God. doesn't mean you can't be right with God. You keep on serving God. You keep on doing what's right. Uh, some of my best Sunday school teachers that taught me a lot, right? Uh, I'm just telling you, when I grew up, right? But the office of a pastor, that person cannot do. Uh, Matthew 5.32 talks about this, that, uh, that that person is disqualified in an adultery issue. Uh, but, uh, but in any case, a marital requirement. So the main requirement, a marital requirement. And then the end of verse number two, moral requirements. Uh, just real quick, you see the caution there. Uh, it says there, husband of one wife, vigilant. That's caution. In other words, his mind needs to be clear. He needs to be able to make decisions and think. Um, doesn't mean he has to be smart. Thank the Lord for that, right? Uh, but he should be able to make decisions. In other words, he, he needs to be able to reason things. All right? Um, and the word vigilant there has... It basically means, you know, obviously, if you look up the word, right, in the lexicon, it's going to show not drunk with wine, right? Uh, because being drunken clouds your thinking. And you can't make decisions. And the idea there is that uh, you're able to use caution, to think, to make decisions, a mind clear. They, so basically, obviously, if there's health issues, not being mean, but there's health issues that they cannot uh, think clearly. And there are some things that then can't make decisions. Very few, very minor, but need to be able to think clearly and make decisions. But obviously, if they're under any kind of alcohol, drugs, prescription drug abuse, that's clouding their mind and keeping them from making decisions, they shouldn't be a pastor. All right? And so vigilant, they're able to think and make decisions. Then the word sober, it means come to good conclusions. That means they control their thoughts, self-control. Um, again, you know, not letting their mind just run away from them. Um, 
where that comes into play is this, all right? I'm just telling you, real life situations, all right? That, uh, you know, the devil whispers and, and you know, uh, I'm making up something here. I'll use Brother Jeff because me and Brother Jeff are good friends, right? And, uh, and so, you know, uh, Brother Jeff, he looks at me really weird during the singing. I was like, what's up with that? After church, I walked to him. I was like, Brother Jeff, how you doing? He goes, I got to go. And he walks out. This is real life. He said, what's going on? Well, what I didn't know, Brother Jeff's starting to feel really bad under the weather. Stomach's starting to, uh, and he's like, I got to get out of here. But you know what happens in my mind? What have I done to Brother Jeff? Brother Jeff hates me. Because Brother Jeff's in sin. We need to find out what's going on with Brother Jeff. I can't stand that guy, Brother Jeff. He's always against everything that I do. And we may laugh and joke. That happens. Because people don't control their thinking. Right? And that's, just a pa- that's not just a pastor problem either, church. Right? You know, be, be patient there. But it means control your thoughts. Someone may say something. And I'm just telling you the fact. Someone will say something that's mean to a pastor at times. Just happens. I mean, you're making decisions and leading, and there's 160 people here, and everybody's got their own opinion. A lot of times people are like, oh, I don't know. And then what really gets you when you see two people talking, Brother Jess back in the back, talking to, you know, Brother Doug, and, my, and the pastor's mind's just like, they both hate me now. I mean, that stuff, it, it's a problem, right? And you have to learn to control your thinking, right? Be sober, be vigilant, and then of good behavior, that's your conduct. So use caution, good conclusions, and your conduct. It says there, of good behavior. Of good behavior means that you don't have any terrible habits. You're not a gambler. You're not a liar. You're, and I add these things. You're not always late to everything. You're not irresponsible. You're not unorganized. You're, you know, somewhat orderly. We don't expect perfection. But if his life is chaos and confusion and he's always getting in trouble and doing the same dumb things he needs to reevaluate what he's doing he needs to be of good behavior um, these are his moral requirements then his ministry requirements continuing verse number 2 given the hospitality that is a social grace um, that means he loves people given the hospitality means he loves people it means he's approachable it means that, uh, you know, people would feel comfortable coming to him. Um, it means this. He's kind. Everybody hear what I'm about to say here, right? Being a preacher, got some guys that are training to be a preacher, so listen to your pastor real quick. Being Holy Spirit empowered does not mean you get up and destroy people. Being loud and mean does not mean you're spiritual. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. You speak the truth, but Jesus said we speak the truth in what? And people should know when they listen that it's being said out of a heart of love. And it, it's being given the hospitality is not just, you know, having people over all the time. It means this, that people know that you love them, you are welcome to them, you're open to them, that you care about them, and even when you're correcting them, they know you love them. That's given the hospitality. 
Uh, also, you see a, a, not just a social grace, but a special gift. Apt to teach, in verse number 2. Apt to teach means that they have, they, they have a God-given ability to share truth, to get across teaching, to be able to instruct, help. Uh, so you see the basic requirements, and then we see some broader requirements, verses 3 through 7. Uh, you see his addictions, in verse number 3, not given to wine, not to have any part with wine. A pastor should not be anywhere near the consumption of any alcohol. Again, it goes back to having a clear mind all the time, but also Proverbs makes it very clear in Proverbs 29, sorry, Proverbs 23 and Proverbs 31, and other places in Scripture. The wine is a mocker. Child of God has no business drinking and consuming alcohol. All right, it clouds the mind. You're being brought under the power of some substance. It is for fools, the Bible says. It will leave destruction and heartache. The Bible's very clear when that cup, when that is that wine is in that cup, we're not even to look at it and gaze at it. Stay away from it. People always say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. That was grape juice. It's very clear. Alright? The word wine is used, we know is used throughout the uh, the Bible and can be used for both things. How do you know which one it's talking about? Context. Context. In any case, wine, a pastor can't be you ever see a pastor saying they're a pastor and they're drinking, they have no business being a pastor anymore. And there are quite a few. I hate saying that, but there are quite a few. And that, that should not be, don't let it ever happen at Kazadel. You young people, are you listening to me? Don't let it happen. Well, they, they said, I don't care what they say. If they say there's a reason and an excuse for alcohol, they're wrong. Bible says otherwise. Amen. No, his addictions, his addiction to wine, his addiction to wrath. No striker. The word no striker means this. He's always ready with his fist. He's quarrelsome. In other words, someone that's this way always takes offense at everything. You know, hey, pastor, that, a sermon, uh, you know, went a little long. Oh, really? Say it to my face, Right? funny but that attitude should that person should shouldn't be a pastor and have that attitude always looking for a fight always looking to be offended always looking to push back and prod and get people stirred up to get angry and mad which is by the way why you don't see me ever arguing on any social media or anything like that you say why because i don't trust me i will so make my point and I will want to win I'm a super competitive person especially when I know I'm right and uh, and uh, so I, I don't involve in that because I would be accused of that so I don't uh, wine wrath uh, or addicted to wealth there's no striker not greedy of fil filthy lucre that's, that's money being addicted to the, again, in chapter 6 and verse number 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. And um, if a man's just into it to, to make a fortune, he's in the wrong profession, all right? Uh, but uh, it, it, that's not what drives a man of God. And uh, those things are just whatever. We'll do our best, trust the Lord, whatever we have to do to get along, but amen. 
Now, I balance that with this. I'd say it anywhere. I should be able to say it here. A church should want to take care of their pastor. And you do. But a church should, should desire that and always want to do that. And so, uh, but they don't do it for that reason. So his addictions, then you see his attitudes in verse number three, he should be considerate, says, but patient. A patient, the word patient means gentle and fair, um, not rigorous. But patient. Treat people with a soft hand. A gentle hand. In other words, if you're going to be a pastor, and especially you guys training for this in future, right? If you're going to be a pastor, you're going to have to be patient with people. They have to grow. I'm thankful that people were patient with me. I should have known things and been doing things way before I did them. And most of us probably have that testimony. But there were people who were patient with us. And so a pastor is going to be someone who is patient with people. He is considerate, all right? He's patient, and then he's not contentious. Uh, continuing, it says, not a brawler, all right? That means he's not combative. He's not always arguing and thinking that he's right and everyone else is wrong. A pastor should fight wolves, not people. But he's not contentious with his church, with his peers, with the lost. Not be contentious. He's considerate, not contentious, and not covetous. It says, again, verse number three, not covetous at the end of that verse. That means his attention is on people, not things. The fact is this, that either they will love people and use things to help people, or they're going to love things and use people to get things. And a pastor should love people. Whatever God's given should be used to help people. But they're not covetous. They don't need the nicest, the biggest, the greatest, the flashiest. But to understand and rejoice with others when they're blessed. But you see his attitudes. You can see in verses 4 through 7, his attainments. His attainments. Almost done. In verse number 4, you see 4 and 5 the, in the per, parental sphere. Verse number four, you see a simple rule. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. He should be leading his home. He should be teaching his home. His children, when they act up, and they will, a pastor's child is still a child. They will, just like yours do. Right? Well, they're pastor's children. I'm sorry, no such office in the Bible, right? Of higher qualifications and accountability, right? They're kids. I say, your kids have told lies? Yes. Your kids have done bad things? Yes. Just like yours, right? And when, when I'm their father and they're in my home, I have a responsibility to correct those things, to teach those things, to... If I lose control of my home... And you, I still have one at home. You know, Hope's, this is all ridiculous, right? But if Hope's running through the auditorium, yelling and screaming, right now she's at home going, what? Yeah, she's sick, right? Well, you know, and she's out of control. And you see me say, Hope, stop that, sit down. And she turns around and goes, and keeps running. I've lost control of my home. 
or she says no. She's defiant and I'm not correcting it and I'm not dealing with it. I have no business trying to be a pastor of a church. Ruleth well his own house. Alright, that's the rule. Have his children in subjection with all gravity. I am thankful for Gazada Baptist Temple that I, I do not ever feel that the church is ever, um, you know, require and expect, you know, something beyond what any other child is respected or expected of. And I am thankful for that. Uh, but they still, I still have the responsibility to make sure I teach them, guide them. They're not defiant. They're not self-willed. And, uh, and, and to teach them, as it says there in that verse, all right, with all gravity. The word gravity means respect. And this is a part that uh, I, I think is really important and we understand. It says having his children in subjection with all gravity. In other words, they're obeying and they respect their father. Um, there's an honor there that's not just demanded, but it's been earned. And, um, and so you see this in the parental sphere. And the reason in verse number five is this, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The reason's obvious. If I can't correct and teach and show my own children in my own house that live with me, what business would I have trying to lead a church? And um, again, we all know pastors, right? They've been around a lot. Uh, their children may make bad mistakes when they get out of the house. I don't think that disqualifies a man from being a pastor. It says, having his children in subjection, wonder ruleth well his own house. Brother Slee told me this, and no offense to Brother Ricky and Crystal out in Kansas, right? No, no problems, but, but he told me this. I remember when Grace was getting married, and he was the first in our house to get married, and Brother Slee, Brother Rick Slee looked at me one day, and he goes, I thought I prayed for my children and were concerned for my children while they were growing up. He said, I pray so much more now that they're out of the house. And I said, why? And he said, they're not doing anything wrong. But I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what decisions they're making. And he said, all I can do is pray. And give it to God. And... Um, and he was right. He was very, very right. And um, but a pastor needs to be someone who will rule his house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now, if the if the verse said, and their children grow up and they they have to always serve God and be very faithful, we take that another step. But that's not what it says. And I've also learned this. It's really important we be biblical in all these things. You know, um, just stick to the book. A whole lot easier that way. We see his attitudes, his 
and his attainments, you see it in the parental sphere, and then you see in his personal sphere, in verse number 6, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. In other words, that word novice doesn't mean young. Right? It literally means a new Christian. Right? New in the faith. Um, someone if, you know, um, we'll make up a guy, his name is Jack Smith. I don't know what Jack Smith Jack Smith visits church Sunday. Now, if there is a Jack Smith that visits church Sunday, we're all going to be like, whoa. Right? Uh, but if Jack Smith visits church Sunday and he walks the aisle and he gets saved, and then that night he says, God's called me to be a pastor down here at this church. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Right? What's the danger? Because if a novice, someone that's new in the faith, uh, tries to be in that position, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. They're going to be lifted up with pride. It will become a power thing to them. And you say, how old does someone have to be to be a pastor? No time frame on that in the Bible. But you'll know it. When their heart's concern is people and their betterment and not themselves. You'll know it. It's, an, it's a sign of maturity when their heart is for others and less on themselves. Um, and, and again, that verse says, lest he, being lifted up with pride, fall into condemnation of the devil. The devil will bring, I promise, he'll bring condemnation. Uh, it will be a, a great danger. He will, that person, he will fall into sin. And uh, seen it, unfortunately. Uh, lastly, we're done, verse number seven. You see his personal sphere, his parental sphere, and then verse number seven, his public sphere. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. The world those without, those outside these doors, those that know the pastor, should at least know this, he's real. He's real. He really is and tries to be what he says he is. He's not a hypocrite. I, I could tell you the name of a pastor. He's dead now. I still ain't got to tell you his name, right? Uh, but... In the Cincinnati area, right? But he is a pastor of a church, and every time he was at a sporting event or out in public, he was known for being a cusser. He was known as Cincinnati's cussing pastor. Shame on him. Shouldn't be. And the world should see that a life that is lived here behind this pulpit is also lived out there. The kindness I show to you should be shown to my neighbors. The concern, the honesty, the, the life. There shouldn't be one life at church and one life out in the world. He should be known in that verse, must have a good report of them that are without. Why? lest there be a reproach. Cause harm and shame on the cause of Christ. And a snare of the devil. 
A snare, you understand the difference between a snare, we teach this in our hope recovery program. A trap, picture a mouse trap, right? A trap, something that usually isn't there. Can you just make yourself a mouse right now? Everybody with me? You walk into the same kitchen every day when the lights are out. But this time, there's a small piece of wood on the ground, metal spring on it, but there's cheese. That's a trap. You know it shouldn't be there, but it's drawing you to it, right? That's a trap. A snare has no bait. A snare, uh, the way if you're a, a hunter and you're trying to catch a rabbit or something, a snare, you see the path that rabbit takes every day. You see which way it goes. And so you put some wire, some, you know, some barb on it or something, and you just keep it right there, not interfering. It look, doesn't look like anything, and the rabbit feels safe. It doesn't seem like anything's wrong, but when he goes down the path he normally takes, the snare gets him. He gets caught in it, and the more he struggles, the deeper it gets. That's a snare. And if a pastor doesn't have a good report, it will be a reproach to the cause of Christ and a snare to him and to the church. The devil will just let him go on his life and keep doing what he's doing until all of a sudden it's too late. And great harm is caused to his life, his family, and his church. So good behavior. And it's really important. I say all these things, pray for your pastor. And I hope the Lord comes back with us all, but should the day come, the church needs to find another pastor. He needs to meet all of these qualifications. No exceptions. And... Pray for all of our pastors in our area that they would continue to live this life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I